0: everyone and welcome to boost her conversations designed to inspire you me and her i'm your host nia mason and women's history month comes to a close with my former coach and university of maine men's basketball assistant coach Nisha curry aka coach eddie as one of two women coaching in collegiate men's basketball eddie talks to us about how her strengths as a coach are less to do with her gender and more with her life experiences and how they have paved the way she sees the world and tackles obstacles. While being one of few in this space isn't something Eddie dwells on, it is certainly something she keeps at the forefront of all that she's doing, reveling in the responsibility she feels to pull up the young women behind her as she continues to climb the ladder toward success and equality. Today, Eddie talks to us about finding balance within her NCAA, NBA, and WNBA commitments never forgetting about the female coaching pioneers that came before her and the lasting impact of her dad's unconditional love and confidence in her.
1: Your day-to-day as a basketball coach, just from playing, I already know you guys go through the most, but what does that look like?
2: Wow. I'll give you a typical maybe off-season day for me. Everyone knows Coach Eddie's position group, that I am a 6 a.m., workout person. like to get in the gym and get it out. So, you know, I'm going to wake up about 5 a.m., 4.30, 5 a.m. every day, get to the gym about 5.30 on the court with my position. I have the point guards and the small two-guard group and get on the court with them working them out. From that workout, depending on our time, it can be 45 minutes to an hour. I'm going to go right to my office. And from there, day to day, it's in season, is working on scouts out of season. It's looking at video, evaluating our players, looking at video for recruits to better our roster. That's kind of my day-to-day grind. Thank God, you know, we're on break now for a little bit, but usually I'm that dreadful 6 a.m. in the morning <laughs> coach. I just find value in players getting to do what they love the first thing in the morning. Like, I don't worry about them having a bad test day or running into somebody that I don't like or having a long, exhausting lecture or getting a bad test results or anything that is going to put them in a bad mood. First thing they get to do is in the morning is do what they love. See, I
1: like that rationale because you have me over here so happy I was the point guard.
2: <laughs> it's always a method behind my madness. They fight me earlier, but early in the season, like, oh my God. But you can see the first year of the two year players that haven't worked in their second year. When I do have a late workout, they're like serious. We're having a late workout. They get used to that, yeah. their routine. And I think it's important for success, you know, for players and people just to have a routine. So I try to stay on that routine for them. And it also creates a habit of the importance of sleep. You know, when you know you have a 6am workout in the morning, you have to get sleep. Yeah. So. I'm strategically developing another habit in young adults without having to text them, you should go to bed.
1: <laughs> yeah. Being the only female on the staff, do you find that there are responsibilities or tasks that you tackle that is very different from how the other men on your staff might go about tackling those responsibilities?
2: I think maybe our perspectives may be different in mm-hmm. how we attack Problems and the creative solution. I think that has nothing to do with gender. I think that's just people. You know, the way people handle things, depending on the situation or adversity, depends on what tools they have in their toolbox. I'm blessed that I have so many tools to pull from being an elite athlete, high school, college, to being a professional athlete and coaching and living all over the world. I have a more global mindset, and I have all these experiences to pull from to help me better myself and better the team.
1: What was it that brought you into the world of coaching post your
2: playing career? I guess it was a calling. I always say the story, and we both have been coached by Michael Abraham, my college coach, your AAU coach. He told me I was born to be a coach at 25, and that was like kind of the peak of my professional career. And I was like, coach, I love you to death, but there's no way in hell I want to deal with a younger version of Nisha Curry. I'm all good for coming back in the summer, being a mentor, a role model to team concept, helping everybody. I love that, but I never saw myself or I never saw the value in me being a coach. I really didn't. It took me a while, but it kind of brought me back to what my grandmother said. When you're called to do something, you really can't run away from it. It eventually finds a way to pull you back in because that's really what you're called to do. I laugh at it because I fought it for so long, but it's cool. I actually love it like no other. Like I wouldn't change anything. I wouldn't change me fighting it or anything for the experiences I have now as a coach.
1: That's so funny you say that, because when I met you as my coach, it did not seem like something that you fought. Like, it seemed like something you seamlessly walked into. Like, you knew what you were doing from the very first practice I
2: met you. And that's crazy, because that's kind of what Coach Michael saw in me. But sometimes in success and in moving and transitioning in your life, you have to see it for yourself. And I just didn't see myself as a coach. Literally, I just saw myself as like the big sister to you guys, the mentor. I was going to come in. I was going to give you guys my all and pour into you guys, help you guys achieve your dreams of being Division I student athletes. But I was like, nah, I can't see myself doing this. It was Coach Michael's way of tricking me. He gave me a lot of responsibility, and I really didn't even think about it. Like, you coach this team, you coach this team, you lead this practice without him around. But I was like, you know, it was something fun. Like, I really enjoy mentoring and leading you guys. So I wasn't even thinking, but now that I'm a coach, I'm like, sometimes as a coach, you got to trick players into being (laughs) what you need them to be and what you know they can be. I laugh at it now because I was like, he was totally tricking me into what he knew I would be eventually. And that was a coach.
1: Coaching presents such a unique set of obstacles in that you're managing so many different players' personalities. And that can be a good thing or a difficult thing, a tricky thing. How do you go about tackling this aspect of coaching when it presents itself as an obstacle?
2: You have to go in understanding that you're managing people at different levels of maturity in their life. You can't say because you're a sophomore, he or she is a sophomore, junior, you should be this. You should act like this. I think when you go into these obstacles and these experiences, that's what they are. They're really a true experience. And you as a leader with the most experience, I think you have to share both the good and the bad Mm -hmm. and how you got over the hump when life was tough on the court and off the court and sharing with young people, because life is hard. I tell my players all the time, life is harder than sport. The lessons that you learn in sport kind of give you a different endurance, a different resilience and perseverance than maybe what people call the regular people in the world. Yeah. But for me, it's always knowing that every single day, An individual that I care about is going to present an obstacle, and I am in charge of creating a solution for them to be a better young person.
1: To do what you do and to be one of few women doing it, I would imagine, well, I know this about you. There's a mandatory, necessary sense of confidence. It's one of my favorite things about you that helps you to be successful at what you're doing. How do you maintain your confidence and why is it so important to be able to maintain it?
2: For me, it's about knowing who I am. Confidence is about knowing who you are as a person. You know, what you stand for, what you strive to be. I think you start losing confidence as a person when you're so worried about what others think of you. And it's something that, you know, my father gave to me that, People are going to like you some days and they're not going to like you some days. And it's nothing you can do about it because you don't know their experiences or what their experience with you caused that. The only thing you can do is kind of control how you react to things. And since confidence, it's about me, it's hard for people to keep confidence because when some people are confident and consistently confident... This world sometimes tears them down with words of they're arrogant. They think of themselves self too much, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I'm telling everybody, I think highly of myself. Never will stop thinking highly of myself. And personally, I don't give a damn what anybody thinks about me feeling highly of myself because me having confidence in myself is the reason why I'm in this position and it's the reason why more young girls and young women will be in this position, especially young Black women and Black girls. I want them to see confidence. I want them to feel like, you know what? It's okay to think, you know, you are the ish. Me thinking highly of myself has nothing to do with me thinking less of anybody else. And sometimes that gets confused. My confidence in myself and my abilities means that I think less of somebody else where I'm putting people. No, this is about me and my journey and what I want to give to the world. That's why I speak with confidence and do things with confidence because I want other women and young girls to go out in the world and be like, yo, I can be this and don't have to feel like I have to be less of myself to fit in. We
1: have touched on representation so many times here in the Booster Club this season like you just said, you're a model of that right now for women coaching basketball, for women coaching in general, for young girls within basketball wanting to be coaching, and at the end of the day, for women navigating spaces where typically they aren't necessarily common. You talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but how do you feel about this sort of responsibility?
2: I absolutely love it. (laughs) I do. Yes, I do get tired. Yes, it is not easy but it's a weight that I enjoy. I know what it feels like now to have someone text or call and say, you mean the world to me. I'm looking up to you. Keep paving the way. Keep leading the way you live. That's awesome to me. And that gives me the energy to keep going, keep using my voice, keep using my platform, because I know the next generation might not be ready, but I'm giving them a little more juice. That's why I say the off the court stuff is so important to me because, you know, I'm always hashtag it's bigger than me. It really is. As much as some people will like, you don't have to do it. You know, I don't. I can not do anything and just be my own successful self. But if we're really talking about, being change agents for the world and making the world so-called more diverse and inclusive of all the people that are in these rooms have to speak up for everyone. And I understand that I'm one of those people.
1: You got my allergies over here. acting <laughs> 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 On top of the demands of being a coach in a men's division one basketball program, you are also a coach for San Antonio Spurs summer league, You are a technology instructor for the NBA Assistant Coaches Program. You're helping NBA and WNBA athletes also transition into coaching. You're a mentor. In the midst of all of this, how do you find balance with it all?
2: Balance is passion. You don't ever get tired or exhausted when you're doing what you love. I don't get exhausted when... I have to get off the phone with you in maybe two hours. I do, two hours. I have a mentor meeting with a young man, helping him on his scouting reports. I don't get tired of that. That is my purpose. It's a part of my purpose. Impacting lives is my purpose. I always say, impacting lives one dribble at a time. Understanding that basketball is just my platform for me, really, to be a teacher a leader, a role model, someone who is a true change agent for others is a blessing. The balance, yes, I do take days off. Yes, I do have my Netflix and chills. Yes, I do have my vacation days. But when you're doing something you love, you don't ever feel exhausted from it. I enjoy what I do and as much time I have in a day to... Invest not only in myself, but others, you know, it's really a blessing. The most important thing in finding balances in your life is finding your own personal success and being happy with your growth process. I've been watched about four series yesterday. It didn't make me a bad coach. It didn't make me a bad leader. You know what it made me? Made me
1: human. Switching gears into more of the personal space. I want to talk about your dad. He was a major influence in your life. His lessons and spirit are still influencing you today. Talk to me about your dad and why you
2: give him that credit. I am a trailblazer and I am here because of love and care of a Black man. My confidence, my voice, my power, my I don't give it attitude comes from him. Yeah, my dad gave me all that, you know, and I always talk about when I got this job, everyone was up in arms about everything was about gender. You know, like, how are you going to handle this? You're coaching men now and you're not full time coaching women's basketball and et cetera and et cetera. And I was like confused because I had always had a great relationship with a phenomenal man in my life, my father that never put boundaries on me as a woman. Never. I never heard no. Didn't matter what sport, what instrument, whatever I want to do, I was allowed to do and find out who I was and what I was going to become as a woman. And the only thing he asked is, if you're going to commit to something in life, win. And that's a part of his legacy for me is winning. I refuse to lose. I refuse to accept any of the isms that are thrown out at me both sexes or racism I refuse to accept them yeah. because I wasn't built to accept them I was built to fight them my dad built me to fight everything my dad built me to have a voice even when people felt like I shouldn't speak have a voice or shouldn't speak up about anything and for me my father raised me he didn't miss games he didn't miss anything everybody knew when it came to me don't mess with her I miss that protection because you know 41 years of my life I had that protection yeah. he took every blow for me to be who I am as a woman to be a success not only me but all of my sisters to have independent women and for him to verbalize that all the time. Like, I don't want my daughters not to have a voice. I don't want my daughters dependent on anybody. My wife is not like that. You know, even my mom, his ex-wife is not. He was like, I don't want that. And that's empowering. And I think that that has really helped me in my relationship with men in the workplace, my colleagues now. I'm not even thinking gender because when I got this job, the most powerful thing I told someone in one of my first interviews is my dad never asked me how I felt coaching men's basketball. He asked me, when is the games close to California? Let me know the schedule and I'll be there. It wasn't, how are you going to coach, you know, young men now or it wasn't even a weird conversation it was like yo okay when is the tickets when can I get there give me the schedule move on and then every day like a father would you know he checked on me I always chuckle because I'm like yo my dad was like look I armed my baby with weapons she good whether I'm here or not and it's been difficult not having him as he passed away in August of 2020 but What he gave me and what I'm building and what his legacy stands for me is what he always taught me to do, and that's to win. And I don't plan on not doing that.
1: You're currently paving a historic path by what you're doing right now. Yes, within men's collegiate basketball, but basketball as a whole. And even with all of that, there are some major historical female figures in coaching that have sort of paved this path for you and you continue to shape it in your own special way. You and I have talked about this previously in our conversations, but I want to talk some more about some of the past women's coaches that have inspired you to continue to really be a trailblazer in this space.
2: You know what? The first one is the first call I got when it came to me being okay, me being ready is Brianette Maddox. She was the first one to do it in all of coaching. Kentucky, in the mid-90s, no social media, no media really. And she did it as a Black woman in a Power 5 conference. And I will never forget my first week call. And honestly, this probably is the only office call that I've ever received because no one calls the office anymore. Coach calling me and saying, I got this. I'm armed with it. I'm doing what's right. I'm ready for this. It's truly special. And for someone that really didn't know me to reach out and give me words of wisdom, it's truly powerful. So for me, her story as a Black woman, being the first, is me. She was the first at Kentucky for men's. hmm None of us would be here without her. None of us. There's no me. There's no Lindsay. There's no Becky. There's no God. You name it. She was really one that started this trend. She doesn't get enough credit for it. But I always go out thinking of her because it symbolizes me. It symbolizes black women. In America, it symbolizes Black women's success in America and what it means, and how people go out and go about telling our stories. So, I always make sure in my process that I share her story, just like I share Stephanie Reddy's story, who was another Black woman who was on, called me too, always calls me, check on me when the NBA. G League was the D League and she won a championship and she was one of the first and she coached at Coppin State. I always make sure that our experience as Black Americans doesn't get lost. Like our experience is really a part of the American history and it's full with so much success, not just trauma. This
1: isn't the first time I've heard you talk about both of these women. So I love that you get on this platform and that's like the first thing that you want to do is say, yes, I'm doing this, but here are the women that helped me
2: do this. Exactly. I think it's needed. In order to keep our, especially our history alive, we have to be the ones that speak up for the ones that are not speaking, the ones that are gone, the ones that are still here, the legends that we have. We have to keep reminding everyone of Black excellence.
1: You speak so highly from them. You've pulled so much from them. What is it that you hope that the young Eddies, the women coming after Eddie, what do you hope that they pull from you?
2: You know what? To use their platform to pull other people up. It's not enough to be the only one in the room. I always said it last year in interviews. I don't enjoy people constantly saying, you're the only woman. You're the only female. I was so happy when Corinne coach tiny got her an opportunity and got hired i was like yes <laughs> i can now say and i can correct people it's two of us now <laughs> still not enough but it's two of us now i want people to look back on my legacy and say you know what eddie made sure that she pulled other people up i got an opportunity because eddie stuck out her head for me i got an opportunity because she mentored me I want people to understand that it's room for all of us to succeed. It really is. Me helping a young man get an MBA job, it's not going to hurt my process. Me helping a young man get a national team job and texting me currently now from Cameroon, that's not going to hurt my process. That's a part of being a true leader and truly being a changing agent for the world because we have to apply pressure and apply pressure for me that means you know what i'm going to develop enough where i can be like i'm calling your bs i have about eight people that fit that job description here's a resume you may not give them the job but don't say that we're not qualified that's what I want to be wins and losses. You know, I'm going to win as a head coach. I'm going to lose as a head coach. And it's something that I tell my players what you are 40 years from now, when the air is no longer in the ball matters to me more than anything.
1: What a perfect way to move into our booster up segment. You know about this segment, I'm going to hit you with two questions that every booster gets when they join us. I see you getting ready. (laughs) Let's
2: see. Let's see.
1: All right, talk to me about your career-defining moment so far.
2: Wow, career-defining moment? hmm Wow. You know why it's hard? Because I feel like I still have not reached my greatness. I don't even think I've reached 60% of my greatness. So for me, I know I have more, and I know I haven't had it yet. I know it. I know because in my career, defining moment has nothing to do with winning and losing and a job. When my moment comes, I'll be able to look back and it's a whole lot of people behind there. But I haven't got it yet. I got a couple. It's not the definer. Yeah, it's not the definer. What
1: is it that you wish the younger you knew to be better prepared for this journey that you're on now?
2: Take risk more. Listen to people that are on the journey where you want to be instead of listening to people that are not on the same path as you. I want every young girl, every young woman to take risk. Go after whatever is in your gut that makes you smile. You're going to fail. You're going to bump your head, but it does not mean you're not worthy of that goal, that dream, or success.
0: Thank you for listening to Boost Her, conversations designed to inspire you, me, and her. Coach Eddie will constantly be featured throughout our Instagram, so to stay in touch with what she's up to, especially when that career-defining moment hits, give us a follow, at Boost Her Podcast, all one word. We have had such a blast throughout Women's History Month here in the Booster Club, and we hope you've enjoyed a month-long celebration featuring some inspiring women. The fun continues as we head into our Entrepreneur Month, where all month we are talking to female entrepreneurs in their own right. So please, like and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming site to make sure you're in on the fun. Again, thank you for listening to Boost Her, where we will happily pull up a seat at the table for you as a reminder that while individually we may be great, collectively we are magic.